together. We're thankful that most of our families come in for a visit. Our daughter's not able to be with us. She's uh, going to a conference this weekend. She's Our son-in-law Kyle is here, and Anna's holding the fort at their church in Iowa, and she's heading out this afternoon for a conference she's got to go to. But I just pray you guys enjoy your weekend and enjoy time as you get together with family, and hopefully you'll get some time off work. I know some of you probably have to work, but hopefully you'll get a little bit of rest sometime. But can we welcome all of our guests today, those that are here, those that are watching online, CFA family? We welcome you. We're glad you're here. The vast majority of what is in this handout is for our guests, especially the first about three quarters of the front front flap inside there. It's an introduction of us to you, so we want to get a little bit better acquainted with you. So we've tried to tell you a little bit about ourselves, and then there's a little card in there. We would love for you to introduce yourself to us. If you'll take it to our lobby after the service, and uh, one of our hospitality team members will be there to greet you. And uh, we have a special gift that we want to give you today just to say thank you for joining us in worship today. Uh, we, won't, we won't badger you with all kinds of communications. We just want to bless you. We don't ask anything else from you today. And if there's a prayer need you have, we invite you to put that on the card as well so that we can pray with you. Not only for our guests, but for our CFA family. Let us know your prayer needs. We pray over these cards every week. Let us know your answers to prayer, your praise reports. And uh, CFA family, again, thank you for your faithfulness in giving. Thank you for allowing us to be a blessing to one another, to our community, and around the world as a result of your giving. And uh, we announced last week that our next-gen pastors, Chris and Angie Gonzalez, are going to be joining us. They're shooting for July, probably get here sometime in July. They are actually just felt led of the Lord and prayed with some folks, some mentors and leaders in their lives, and they are going to sell everything that they have to come here and so they're going to need to set up housekeeping and stuff again. So uh, we are going to take up a special offering next Sunday. And again, we give through the baskets. We give online. We give through the app. There's multiple ways for you to give as you feel comfortable giving. But we'd like to take up a special offering for them next Sunday to bless them as they're going to need to get some things to resupply. Uh, obviously, they'll be able to do some after selling some things. But there'll be other things that they need. If you have items to donate, we're going to wait until they get here. Because we don't know exactly what they need or don't need at this point in time. And, uh, and uh, we don't want to overwhelm them because sometimes you can get more than what you need. Because you folks are just so doggone generous. <laughs> so we'll wait until they get here and let them take care of that. But we want to give you the opportunity to give. And there's already a place online and through the app that if you want to designate to the Gonzales, you can do that. So just look for their name. So again, thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving and i'm gonna ask joyce to come up right now joyce has got a presentation that she wants to make so come on up joyce and share with us <clears throat> gonna need a mic aren't you let me get uh wireless here for you sharon's good This won't take long. I just wanted to do a quick presentation this morning. Um, a while back, I fell in love, and it was a long time ago, but it was just one look. It just filled my heart with a feeling that I never had, a new type of love, a different type of love than when you meet your man or, you know, you have your own child. I had not experienced it yet. I'm an only child, and it was funny because I fell in love with a photo it was a photo of my husband holding this little baby girl. She was big, lots of rolls. She had dark hair. 
She was beautiful. I was kind of jealous because he got to meet her before me, but I knew eventually I was going to get to meet her. Today I want to honor my niece, Jordan, <laughs> for graduating eighth grade. So Jordan, I just want you to know that I'll have so many wonderful memories with you from the time of teaching you the book of Genesis to the time where we sat down and learned about other parts of the Bible. I remember our days when we would be in the kitchen and cooking, taught her how to cook, taught her how to do gardening. These are memories that are cherished forever. And in our community, our middle school doesn't have a graduation, and I felt bad that she didn't get this honor, and I felt she deserved it. So Jordan, I want you to know I'm not trying to embarrass you. I really want to know, I want you to know that I love you and everybody in our church loves you and we're honoring you today. There's no words that can express how happy I am to be called your aunt. And for those of you know, I'm really not her aunt. She's my second cousin, but it's always been aunt. Um, and that really, it's just a name, really, but it's how you treat that person. We moved here and Jordan and Ken and Stacy followed. Um, and I've been able to introduce Jordan to Jesus. And my most precious memory that I pray I never lose is the day I was at our youth camp that's getting ready to happen, and Jordan found Jesus. To see her get saved that day, find salvation, and the transformation that occurred was phenomenal. I will always treasure those memories, Jordan. Never forget that. And yes, I had to write these down because I didn't want to miss any. <laughs> I pray that God gives you a life filled with success, lots of love, and victories. I pray that you remember that we are here to serve God first, to serve others before we serve ourselves. This year, Jordan won an Achievement Award. I still don't understand it, but I think it's pretty cool sounding. It's called the Outstanding Beanstack Award. It happens to do with reading, but I thought it was pretty cool to announce it because she won it. Um, on behalf of myself and her mom and dad and our family and friends, congratulations, Jordan. We got us a freshman this year. Um, Jordan, if you want to come up here, please. do this wrong. It might be too big, but that's okay. It's the purpose. Mom, you going to give me a kiss? <laughs> oh, yes, it's big. Da, 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 da. Started too low. That my lovely daughter made for us so she could actually have a certificate for eighth grade graduation. Congratulate her, everybody. Amen. And, and, and we.
And we do typically honor graduating seniors. We don't have any at this point in time. We've got a couple that are coming soon. Uh, but uh, we did want to honor Jordan today, and we want to pray over her for the next steps of her life. So would you just stretch forth your hand this way as we pray? Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for Jordan. We thank you, Father, for her commitment to you, for her desire for you, God. We just pray that you would lead her and guide her and direct her into her next steps, Lord. Keep her holy after you. Keep her following you, Lord. Keep her keeping you first in her life. Lord, I thank you for this church family. Help us to be examples to her, Lord, of putting you first in our lives and following you and pursuing you for your guidance and your direction for all of us. Thank you for this church family of love you've put together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Do you have anything else? Okay. Thank you. All right. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Well, let's look to the Word of God together this morning. Um, we've been in a series, uh, kind of a 30,000-foot overview of the Scriptures, and we took, uh, we took about four weeks to just kind of give an overview of how we look at the Scriptures and interpret the Scriptures. All of these messages are online. We'd encourage, if you missed any, to go back and catch up and make sure you get them all. We took five weeks to look at the different types of, of writing we have in the Old Testament, history, law, wisdom, poetry, and prophecy. The last couple of weeks we started into the New Testament, so we've kind of given an overview of the Gospels two weeks ago and an overview of the book of Acts last week. And so today we are in the New Testament letters. And so I titled this message, You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Another title for this message could be Reading Someone Else's Mail. Because that's kind of what we're doing when we read the New Testament letters. We're reading someone else's mail. So I want you this morning as we begin to imagine reading a letter. Imagine reading a letter that was written to someone else and you are trying to figure it out. Okay? Dear Dan, great news. I can hardly believe it, but in any case, congratulations. So now what are you going to do? Whatever you do, just be confident that the Lord is going to take care of you. He won't let you down. God has taken care of you before. Don't you think he'll do so in this instance? And no matter what John says, you can do it. Don't let him get you down. You know he has weird ideas. He's dealing with his own anxieties. Don't forget to get a present for Linda, the usual, but not too expensive. You know how she is, and I wouldn't want her to get angry. Give the kids a kiss for me and say hi to your mother. I've got to get going, but I hope you'll be able to get out there. I hope to be able to get out there to visit you sometime soon. Maybe we can talk about why your church isn't growing any larger. I really don't think it's a problem with the size of the parking lot. I've been listening to the recordings of your sermons. They're practical enough, but where is the gospel? The entire Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Christ. Remember what Professor Clowney taught us in sermon class. So why aren't you bringing that out? Oh, well, topic for another day. Talk soon. Best, Doug. So how, how do you interpret that? We don't know a lot of what's going on behind the scenes of that conversation. It is a letter written to someone else. So the big idea of my message today is when you read the New Testament letters, you are reading someone else's mail, but it's also for you. When we read the New Testament letters, we're reading someone else's mail, but it's also for us. So how do we figure them out? 
How do we read them? How do we interpret them? Why are we to read these letters? How do we understand them and apply them to our lives? And it's a large part of the New Testament, so we have to, we have to work at understanding this. So I want to give you seven pointers today. There's notes in your handout. You can follow along, fill in the blanks. And there's also another insert that gives you a lot more information on how to read and interpret the New Testament letters. We give you these things to help you understand the Bible because I simply believe one of the mantras of my life is I want to teach the Bible in a way that we can understand it because when we understand the Bible, our lives will be better. Simple as that. So seven ways in which seven pointers to help us understand these letters that were originally written to somebody else, but they're for us too. Number one, the letters are personal. The letters are personal. There are 27 books in the New Testament, 21 of those are letters. 21 out of the 27 books of the New Testament are letters. The Apostle Paul converted after the other apostles were, after Jesus ascended. Paul was a persecutor of the church, and then he was met by Jesus supernaturally on the road to Damascus, gave his life to the Lord, started following after Christianity. Paul wrote to churches. Some of those letters are letters from Paul to churches. He also wrote to individuals. Also, the apostles Peter and John and James and Jude also wrote letters. And then there's the book of Hebrews, which is somewhat anonymous. Some of these letters address local problems in those local churches and communities. Some of them address individual problems. The letter to Philemon in particular does that. Sometimes they're encouraging letters. Sometimes they're chastising letters. Some letters are very, very theological and sometimes hard to understand. But even then, keep in mind that it is a letter that you are reading. It's not a seminary paper. It's not a master's uh, thesis or a doctoral dissertation. It's a, it's a letter. I could have brought my brother's and I could have brought you a little bit of my brother's doctoral tis- dissertation and read a little bit of it to you today. And I could have also brought a paper that he wrote and presented for the Society of Biblical Literature International Conference, but I can barely understand it myself, so it would would have just been an illustration of how the New Testament letters are not that, okay? My point is the New Testament letters were not written to be academic papers. They were written as personal letters, and so we need to read them that way. Sometimes they were intensely personal. Sometimes those letters got intimate. We really do feel like we're reading someone else's mail sometimes. In the letters, the author often reveals their heart as well as their mind. They reveal their passion and love for Jesus and for his message and for the people that they were writing to. So what should we be looking for when we read a New Testament letter? How how do we apply a letter that was originally written to someone else? How do we apply that to ourselves and to our church family as a whole? How do we know? How do we know? What part of that letter is still speaking to us today? And why have they been kept and preserved throughout all of these centuries? Why do we believe that these New Testament letters are God's word for us today? Well, let's see. These letters deal with church divisions, Christians who can't get along with each other, lack of church discipline, lawsuits between Christians, sexual immorality among followers of Jesus, questions about marriage and divorce, conflicting views about the culture that they were living in, how women should dress, the importance of communion, tongues and prophecy, and other gifts. Does churches deal with these issues today? (laughs) We certainly do. So they are personal, but they're for us as well. 
Second, learn about the people and the places. Learn about the people and the places. The word is context. What was the social context of the day? Most of the letters were written during the period of the Roman Empire, so we need to know a little bit about what happened in the Roman Empire. We need to know a little bit about that society. We need to know a little bit about that culture, or else we're not going to understand the letter. Remember this. We said this before when we started this series. The question, what does this mean to me, is not the first question. If you're ever in a Bible study and the only thing that is said is their verses read and, and someone says, well, what does this mean to you? You're not going to know what it means for you until you first know what it meant for them. Example of this is the United States Constitution. People argue today about ways to interpret the United States Constitution. Some people say it is a living document, which basically means you can ignore the meaning of the words in 1780-something. Seven? Was it seven? Got any school teachers among us? 1787 when they got the Constitution? So you can just ignore the meanings of the word then and, and say, we're going to take the meaning of the word today and apply it. But that would be a misinterpretation. We have to, to know, really understand what it was meant. We've got to know a little bit about that. Did you, know, did you know when Andrew Jackson was running back and forth across Tennessee and he was going back to Nashville for big meetings, Nashville was a big, big city. Population, 384. That was Nashville. Times were a little different. So we have to understand their times. We have to understand the meanings of their words if we're going to really understand what the Constitution is. Same with the Bible. We can't just say, well, it means whatever it means to me. We have to know who was Paul, who was Peter, who were they writing to, who was the church in Corinth, what was the church in Corinth dealing with, who was Philemon. Did you know Philemon was a runaway slave? You've got a New Testament letter that's named after a runaway slave, and Paul is writing to his master, and he says, when he comes back, you don't treat him. You don't treat him mean. You ex accept him as a brother. <sighs> Gets pretty radical sometimes. Like the letter I read at the beginning, who is Dan? I don't know. Who's Doug? Who's Linda? What's the great news he's talking about? What's the usual present that he's talking about? What is so weird about John? All that stuff was in that letter. I don't know what it means. If I'm going to understand that letter, I've got to find out who those people were and what that guy is referring to. So that's the same with the New Testament letter. So sometimes we've got to do some outside reading. Sometimes we've got to get some study Bibles and commentaries and other books and materials. Who's Paul? Who's Peter? What is Ephesus? What is Galatia? What is Philippi? What is Corinth? What's the Hebrews all about? Number three, look at the presentation of the letter. Look at the presentation of the letter. Their letters like ours. We have a greeting, you know, hello, Daniel. And then there's a, a, a body of the letter, like how was turkey hunting this year? You know, did you get anything? Did Elijah get anything? And uh, maybe I'll get to go with you next year. Sincerely, Randy. You know, that's how our letters usually go. They have the same, except they, they would put their name first. So like instead of Paul writing sincerely Paul at the end, it's usually at the beginning, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then he gives a greeting, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he gives the body of the letter, I want to talk to you about this and that and this doctrine and that doctrine and how you're kind of messing up here and you better straighten out or else things are really going to get even worse. But you're doing really good over here in this area. And then he concludes like chapter 16 of Romans is, you know, tell mom and dad hi and tell, tell so-and-so hi and tell this one they're doing a great job and welcome this one and blah, blah, blah. A lot of personal stuff. So, so look for information about the author. Who, who wrote the letter? What does the letter 
tell us about the author? What is, what is he saying about himself in the letter? What is, what is the author of the letter teaching specifically to the people to whom he was writing first? The Gospels do this in a subtle way, but the letters do it in an explicit way. Remember last week I talked about how some people think that you cannot establish doctrine from what is called the narrative passage of Scripture. In other words, the stories. So like you got the Gospels and the book of Acts, they're stories, okay? Except during those, you got Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount, so certainly that's a teaching, and you can say we can, we can get doctrine from the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. But some people say you can't get doctrine from the stories. I happen to believe that you can, but the Gospels teach us through stories. The letters teach us by straight-up teaching. And if those letters were delivered personally, then Paul or Peter or whoever's writing the letter would have a whiteboard up here and he would be writing it out and diagramming it and putting the points and he would have you taking notes. So that's the difference between a narrative passage and a teaching passage. The, the letters are very explicit in their teaching. What are they saying about Jesus? What are they saying about how the church ought to behave? What are they saying about how the church ought to discipline sin among its members? What, what are the letters saying about who to hang around with or how to witness to non-believers, how to handle suffering and pain and abuse and questions about faith and, and, and whether our prayers get answered or not, all those things. What are the letters saying about faith? You know, the Christian faith was under attack from the very beginning. What we believe was under attack from the very beginning. Some people, before, before some of these letters were even written, there were already people saying that Jesus was not God. Jesus was not the Son of God. Jesus himself claimed it, you know, I mean, as, as somebody has said, when, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. And he said, before Abraham, I was, I am. And he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That kind of takes Jesus out of the just good guy teacher category. He is either what he said he was, or he's a raving lunatic, or he's a manipulative charlatan. The idea that Jesus was just a good guy don't fit, but there was already people before the New Testament was finished being written that were saying Jesus was just a creation. He was just a regular guy like anybody here, and he had the, quote, God's spirit come down upon him. Others had that happen too. So, you know, Jesus was special, but he wasn't the only one. There were several others like him. There are some today who have this God's spirit come down upon them. And, and salvation is only for some. Salvation is not for everybody. And, and, and people already started believing in before the New Testament was finished being written, people were already believing that you can do anything you want to with your body and it won't affect your soul. And those issues are all still around today. Some of them are very popular. So the letters were written to defend the true faith, explain the true faith, and the way of life that is expected to be a follower of Jesus. Some people said then and still say today that Jesus is not the only way. That there are many roads to an acceptable relationship with God. My son flew in yesterday. He had a flight from Portland to Chicago. He had another flight from Chicago to Nashville. And I am so grateful that the pilot of the plane did not agree with the theology that there are many ways to God. Because for him to land safely in Chicago and for him to land safely in Nashville... There's a tower, and they're coordinating people's places to a safe landing, and they're coordinating the path, and they're coordinating the angles, and they're coordinating the timing. And I'm so glad that the pilot didn't say, well, I can get down there any way I want to get down there. I can choose to land this plane however I choose to land this plane. That would not be very effective. 
There is only one way to God, which is what the New Testament teaches. And some people would say, well, well, God is within all of us. All we have to do is just be good and look inside ourselves and we will find God. They were saying that before the New Testament was finished being written. None of these controversies are new. They are all addressed in these letters. They've been around since the beginning. And these letters help us to understand these questions. And today, if you're going to watch some of the most popular people on television and the internet, some of whom have their own media empires, or even if they just produce their own teachings on their YouTube channels, today's self-help gurus, self-help gurus, many of them claim already to love God and Jesus and have a relationship with Him. And if you're going to read the books that they write and the books they recommend, if you're going to watch the movies and the documentaries that they produce, you had better do it with a New Testament letter in your hands because what some of the most popular influencers in our culture today are promoting promoting is a great deal different than what you'll find in the New Testament letters. So if we're going to stay on the way, we better know what it says or else we'll be easily influenced in a different way. Without Jesus, uh, the Old Testament said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So the letters give us a great balance on the facts of Christianity as well. The Apostle Paul says faith without works is dead. Well, does that mean we don't have to obey? Does that mean we don't have to be good? We are saved. We're in a right relationship with God, not by anything we do. We're in a relationship with God simply by believing in him. That's it. So after that, what I do doesn't matter, doesn't make any difference. So then James comes along and he writes his letter. He says, no, faith without works is dead. He said, you show you, you, me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith. By. In other words, we do have to obey. Faith is the only thing that gets us into a relationship with him. But then we have, to, we have to follow after what he teaches in order to stay in that relationship with him and grow in that relationship with him. So the letters do balance it all out. And some people will cherry pick this verse, cherry pick this verse, cherry pick this passage or that passage and try to explain things. We have to take it all together so we can't just know what one of the letters say. The, uh, there's a doctrinal statement for our church that says the inward evidence of salvation is the direct witness of the Holy Spirit. In other words, I'll know I'm born again. I'll know I'm in a relationship with Jesus because the Holy Spirit's inside of me, and he tells me, and he, he verifies it to me personally. But then it says the outward evidence to all men is a life of righteousness and true holiness. So we do believe that a relationship with Jesus will make a difference in our lives. We will be changed. We will be different. Faith starts it, but then we follow after, and all of these letters give us this balance. So the letters feed us, the letters inform us, the letters nurture our faith. Look at the presentation, what's being taught about Christianity, how to live it out in our community. Next, look what the letters say about the past. What do the letters say about the past? Well, they wrote about Jesus. The letters came along after Jesus, but these letters explain Jesus. Many of the authors of these letters knew him personally. And so in the letters, they recalled his life and teachings, and they recalled his death, and they recalled his resurrection and they recalled the things that he taught about those events and they made applications of Jesus life to their life and to our life so some people say well the apostle Paul wrote most of these and he never met Jesus yeah he was a he was a violent persecutor of the church really in today's in today's lingo the apostle Paul was a terrorist and he was actually the leading. He was whoever was number one on the terror watch list. That was the Apostle Paul. He was a Christian hater. He was there when the first Christian was stoned to death. And he was holding 
cloaks. Hey, let me take your coat so you can really whop him a good one. That was the Apostle Paul. And then he's on his way to Damascus, Syria, the oldest continuous capital of a nation in the world still today. He's headed to Damascus, Syria to round up and persecute and hopefully execute believers there. Acts chapter 9, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. Can you imagine? I mean, he's on the road, he's traveling, and he ain't, he ain't listening to, you know, his favorite songs on the radio. He's like, I'm going to kill them. When I get there, I'm going to get those. Kill them all. I mean, that's, he was consumed with anger, consumed with hate, speaking with every breath to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest and requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their co cooperation in the arrest of any followers in the way he found there. You guys in Jerusalem, you're the headquarters. Everybody listens to you. You give me permission. I'll go to Syria. I will show them the approval I have from you that I can round up the Christians and we can wipe this thing out. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And on a way, boom. Light appears. He's knocked to the ground, and he sees Jesus personally. By the way, this still happens. The, the fastest-growing church in the world today is in Iran, where they are surrounded by people like Paul was, trying to kill them and stamp them out. Why would they come to Jesus? Because he is appearing personally to them. We are hearing these stories over and over and over again in response to prayers for the Muslim world. The governments may not change, but people who live there are meeting Esau. That's the Arabic name for Jesus. And he's saying, I'm the one you're seeking. Follow after me. So that's what happened to the Apostle Paul. Talks to him personally. Changed him to the core. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul wrote about it in one of his letters. He said, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. He wrote again to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So, so we've stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That's, I used to look at people just from my point of view. I'm not doing that anymore. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, popular view today. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become. Paul is saying, I met him. I become a new person. You can meet him. You can become a brand new person, not filled with hate and fear and lust and anger and murder. You can be filled with love and joy and peace and kindness and gentleness. He will make a new person out of you when you meet him yourself. So that impacted Paul's letters. Jesus was no longer dead and irrelevant. Jesus is alive. The Son of God is a living person, and Paul and we can know him in a, and love him in a warm personal relationship. Paul's letters show us that Jesus was not merely human. He was also divine. Jesus is fully God and came as fully man. He wrote to the Romans in that letter, chapter 9, Christ himself was an Israelite. He was an Israelite. He was Jewish. He was born into a Jewish family. He was raised in Nazareth. He was a good Jewish boy as far as his human nature is concerned, and he's God. Not just a good Jewish boy, he's God. The one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Romans 8, 3, God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. Nothing else worked. The law didn't work. Trying to obey the rituals of the law didn't work. So Jesus came like us so we could know God personally. That's what changes our lives. 
The letters give us creeds to this effect. Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the Philippians, and most people think that this particular passage of the letter was one of the first creeds of the church. Because they couldn't really, most of them couldn't read or write. So they would write these creeds, the leaders of the church would write these creeds, and then over and over and over again, the people in their services week after week would, would repeat these creeds because then that's how they learned the doctrines of the church when they couldn't read or study. So Philippians chapter 2, this is one of those creeds. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is of every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul wrote this, but we don't know if he was the first one who wrote it or if the leaders of the church had gotten together and wrote that passage, and he's reminding the Philippians, this is our creed. This is what we believe about Jesus. So don't believe he was a mere human being that had the presence of the Holy Spirit on his life for a temporary time. Don't fall into that. Into that. That's not who God is. He came. And so the early followers of Jesus continued this practice to affirm and pass on their faith and belief. So we have ancient creeds of the church today. There are many churches who still today will recite these creeds again and again. And many of these creeds were started in the early years after Christianity. Again, to help people remember, to help people learn. So I want you to read these with me today, okay? The Apostles' Creed. Read this out loud with me. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. There's another one even better than the Apostles' Creed, in my opinion. I like the Nicene Creed even better. Read this one with me. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and we believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Those are good, aren't they? That's good teaching. You know why we have those? Because people needed to be taught. 
because false teaching was coming in. False ideas were coming in. And so just like Paul wrote to the Philippians, this is a creed that we believe in. The early church fathers wrote the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed to clarify misunderstandings and misteachings. Jesus was both God and man. And it really is a theological term that beats anything from the Marvel movies. The theological term is Jesus is the God-man. And the God-man is bigger and more powerful than the Batman or the Spider-Man. Or any of the other superheroes that people want to look at today. For he, he, it's really, that's serious, folks. That's, that's a term that those high, smart theologians use. The God-man. Because that's what he was. Fully God, fully man. That's what the New Testament letters teach us to straighten out misunderstanding the false teaching. So learn what the letters said about the past. Next, learn what they said about their present. What were the letters saying about their present? Most of them were written in the first century. Most of them were written from somewhere around 30 A.D. to 90 A.D. From God's perspective of history. Listen to this now. The world was very different 2,000 years ago, wasn't it? The world was very different from 30 A.D. to 90 A.D. Very different. We could, we could think of all kinds of ways the world was different. No cars, no planes, no air conditioning, you know. Some of the higher-ups, some of the higher-ups in the Roman Empire had indoor plumbing of a sort, <laughs> but most people didn't. The world was just different, very, very, very different. The, the surroundings were different. The, the, the prevailing attitude was different. It, it wasn't a predominantly Christian culture. It was Christianity was just getting started. It was predominantly a culture with many gods, and, and when, we, when we lament the, the cultural morality of our day... <laughs> What we're experiencing is nothing compared to the Roman Empire when the church was birthed. So the world was very different. And yet, listen to this, from God's perspective, we are living in the same time they are. The world's different. The world's changed. The way we meet, the way we talk, the way we travel, the way we live, it's all changed. But from God's perspective, we are living in the same time that they were living in. What do I mean by that? The old covenant was done. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. He brought the new covenant and he poured out the Holy Spirit. And so we are living in the new covenant with the power of the Holy Spirit available to us between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. So in those terms, we are living in the same time period they were. So we have to understand what these letters were saying to them about their time because that'll help us understand how the Lord wants us to live today in our time. So we're not promised. Listen. We are not promised continual health and wealth and worldly success. Paul wrote to the Philippians in that particular letter, and we, we have these chapters and verses to kind of help us study, but, but remember, Paul didn't write chapter 1, verse 1. It was just a letter, continuous letter. So in part of his letter to the Philippians near the beginning, he said, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but the privilege of suffering for him. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. We're going to suffer, he writes, for the cause of Christ. We're in this struggle together. He wrote to the church in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians. He said, God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom for which you are suffering. It's not always going to go the way we want it to go. We don't always get every prayer answered the way we want it answered. And that shouldn't shake our faith if we understand what's said in the New Testament letters. 
He wrote his second letter to Timothy, one of his students, one of his protégés, one of his mentees. He said, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Are you ready to suffer? He, the, the apostle Peter wrote to the church in general. He said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Why should I be glad about suffering? For the trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Can't get the glory without suffering. Can't get the crown without the cross. If you're insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you'll be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. So when we have problems, listen, when we have problems specifically because we are followers of Jesus. Not when we have problems because we do stupid things. <laughs> Sometimes we got problems because we do stupid things, right? But not that. But when we have problems specifically because we are followers of Jesus, that's when we have the opportunity to show the power of Jesus in our lives. A lot of people in the church today in America, they're scared. We see what's going on in other countries. We talk about loss of freedoms. We talk about change in politics. We talk about what's being allowed and what's being not allowed and blah, 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 blah. And we're like, oh, my goodness, they're coming against the church. Yeah. If you read the letters, you wouldn't be surprised going to happen and the authors of the letters write celebrate that <laughs> celebrate that they're coming against you because that's going to give you the opportunity to show the glory of christ it's hard to show the glory of christ when everything's going great and wonderful so when we're ridiculed and we go through difficulty and we get passed up for promotions when we get passed up for jobs when we're the objects of anger because we're followers of Jesus, Paul and the New Testament letter writers say to us, what did you expect? What did you expect? We're not living in heaven yet. The world is not. This world as we're living in now, that's not what God originally intended. And most people are hostile to God and his ways and increasingly so in our own country. But Paul wrote to the Romans, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he'll reveal in us later. So hang on, folks. Smile through the suffering. Show forth the love of Jesus through whatever opposition comes against you because there's going to be a greater glory than we've ever known that's going to follow it. And Live in praise. The letters tell us to live in praise. Lives of gratitude. Everything we have is a gift from God. Our finances are a gift from God. Our talents are gifts from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. Our families are gifts from God. Every aspect of our lives is to be an offering of praise to God. This is why we understand that New Testament freedom is not freedom to sin. New Testament freedom is freedom from sin. That's what the letters teach us, and that's an important distinction. Finally, when we understand these letters, we need to look for the message of the future. We learn about what it says about the past, what they say about the present, live in praise, and then look for the message of the future in these letters. Because the letters do look forward to Jesus Christ coming back again in power and in glory. John wrote in one of his letters, Beloved, now we are the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The Apostle Paul wrote in one of his letters, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible puts on incorruption, and this mortal puts on immortality, then will be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he wrote to the Thessalonians, he said again, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Know what it says about our future so we can comfort one another with those words. So this is the only time I would recommend this. But reading someone else's mail can be a powerful experience. If you're reading these letters, powerful experience. They were intended to be read openly. They were intended to be read publicly. They belong to the church. So they're yours. You've got mail right here in the covers of this book or right here in the pages of this app. (laughs) You got mail. So the letters are personal. We need to learn about the people and places. We need to look at the presentation, look at what they say about the past, the present. We need to live in praise and we need to look for the message of the future. Let's bow our heads before the Lord together. Lord, we thank you that you inspired Paul and Peter and James and John and others to write these letters. We know, God, that even though the times were so different back then, Lord, we know that there's still some of the same, same issues that we face as a church they faced. Some of the same issues that they faced as individuals we still face. Some of the same temptations to sin we still face. Some of the same arguments we have with people in the church and arguments we have with people in our community and ways in which we think other people ought to do this or that or the other thing or ways that people are telling us we ought to do such and such and whatever. Lord, so, so much has not changed. Maybe our dress has changed, our style has changed, our culture has changed, our technology has changed, but the human heart is not much different. And so, Lord, you're still speaking to us today. And we thank you, Lord, for these letters. And with heads bowed and with eyes closed, here's here's something that's in these letters. All of us have sinned and part of the glory of God. I read that letter, and I don't think about the sins of those people. I have to think about my sins. And I have to recognize, yeah, that statement's true. I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's standard. That's why the Old Testament is now obsolete, and we have a New Testament, because the Old Testament, The old law was our teacher. That's that's something else that's in these letters. It says the law was our teacher to show us that we could live up to the standard. And so we fall upon the grace of Jesus Christ. We throw ourselves on the mercy of the court. And so the letter says all of us have sinned. And it says, though, if we'll confess, agree, yes, I've sinned. If we confess with our mouth and then believe in our heart that Jesus was God and he was raised from the dead it says we'll be saved from any judgment upon those sins wow I you mean for all the stuff I've done these letters tell me for all the sins I've committed sins I've done sins of my thought life sins of my words sins of my attitudes man I've sinned but I don't have to be punished for those sins if I believe that Jesus Christ was God the God man 
And that his death took the punishment for my sin and rose again. John wrote one of his letters. He said, if I just confess my sin, he will forgive me of my sin. Can it be that simple? It's what the letters tell us. Jesus did all the hard work. The letters tell us just to look to him. The letters tell us he'll give us power to live a different life. The letters tell us there's grace when we do stumble and when we fall. But the letters tell us that to him who is able to keep us from falling, to him be praise and glory and honor. So I want to invite us to pray together today, both here as well as watching online. Would you pray a prayer of confession? Would you pray a prayer that acknowledges you've sinned? Do you, do you want to know? The Bible says, here again, it's in the letters. It's in one of John's letters. He said, these things are written. This letter is written so that you can know that you have eternal life. Boy, that's good news. You don't, you don't have to think, well, I, I hope I'm good enough. I, I, I think I'm good enough. And yeah, I've sinned, but I've been a, been a good person too. Maybe it'll all balance out. Maybe the good side will tilt. No, you can't count on that. I'd rather count on all my sins being taken off the scales. He says he don't even remember them anymore. That's what I want. That's what I want for you. And if you want to know Jesus, you want to follow Jesus, you want to return to following Jesus, I invite you to pray this prayer of confession, this prayer of belief. Church family, let's pray together. If you're praying this for the first time or the first time in a long time, believe and confess. And the letter says you're in a right relationship with God when you do that. Pray with me right now. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for these letters. And I admit I've sinned and fallen short of your standard. I admit and I believe you are God, not just a man. You took my sins on the cross and I give them to you. And I receive your forgiveness now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now just yourself, thank God for his love for you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He did it for you. These letters are written for you. He wants you to understand more about him and more about the kind of life he wants you to have. Even in the midst of suffering and opposition, you can be blessed. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your kindness. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's stand to our feet together. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And I just want us to return to worship for a few more moments and just love on the Lord. If you, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time or the first time in a long time, let me know on that card I mentioned earlier. It's in your handout. If you're online, let us know online. We just want to pray for you. We want to encourage you and bless you as we can. If you have a prayer need of any, any need at all, these folks are going to be up here to pray with you. They want to pray with you. So if you have a need, come for prayer. Let's worship the Lord. Sing about the goodness of God one more time today. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days. I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head Oh, I will sing Of the goodness of God 
all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that I am able oh I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire And in darkest night You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. In all my life you have been faithful. In all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. Yes, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of
mountains if mountains were where you hide oh how far i'd scale the valleys if you grace the other side oh how long have i chased rivers from lowly seas to where they rise against the rush of grace descending from the source of its supply cause in the highlands and the heartache you're neither more or less inclined i would search and stop at nothing you're just not that hard to find oh i will praise you on the mountain and i will praise you when the mountains in my way you're the summit where my feet are so i will praise you in the valleys all the same no God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray, cause you're the heaven where my heart is, in the highlands and the heartache all the same, your kindness extend the path from where your feet rest on the sunrise to where you sweep the sinners past and oh how fast would you come running if just a shadow through the night trace my steps through all my failures and walk me out the other side for who could dare ascend that mountain that valiant hill called calvary but for the one i call good shepherd who like a lamb was slain for me oh i will praise you on the mountains in my way you're the summit where my feet are so i will praise you in the valleys all the same no less god within the shadows no less faithful when the night leads me astray sure the heaven where my heart is in the highlands and the all the same oh, 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 oh. whatever I walk through wherever I am your name can move mountains wherever I stand and if ever I walk through the valley of death I'll sing through the shadows my song of ascent whatever I walk through wherever I am 
Your name can move the mountains wherever I stand. And if ever I walk through the valley of death, I'll sing through the shadows my song of ascent. My song of ascent. Oh, oh, oh. today, whether we feel like we're in the highlands or whether we feel like we're in the heartache, whether we feel like we're on the mountaintop or whether we feel like we're in the valley, Lord, help us to know that you are God, no matter where we are. Your presence is always available to us. And even when we don't feel it, give us the faith and confidence in knowing that you are with us. Lord, I pray that the grace of God and the love of Jesus and the comfort of the Holy Spirit would be with everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful